You may notice we're gearing up for Easter. There's a few new things in the room. There's a video camera in the room. We actually are going to have an overflow room just down the hall next week for people who have children who need a little bit of space to make noise. If you were here last Easter, you remember there's just a little bit of noise in the room last Easter. Um, we're going to make sure that it's a great experience for everyone this Easter. And so we're, we're prepping. We're doing lots of things. We're, we're using Eventbrite for registration for kids. And some of the kids' spots are already filling up for some of the services. So if you haven't registered your kids yet, make sure you get in there and do that soon. Otherwise, you might end up in the overflow with them if there's not space in the kids' ministry. And it's funny when you begin to do stuff on Eventbrite, be because there's a certain business model that exists in the world. You may not be aware of this yet, but there's this business model that exists. It's like anytime that there's something successful, let's hurry up and make a Christian version of it. Like, it's out there. I mean, like you, you've got YouTube. You, yeah, there's YouTube. We're familiar with YouTube. Well, there's also GodTube, all right? And, and, and there's, there's Facebook, and there's also social networks called MyPraise, which sounds kind of weird. I mean, that's what most social media is about. It's like MyPraise, praise me, me. But it's like a Christian version of Facebook. There, there's a Christian version of Netflix out there. And, and you know what? Some of these things, like K-Love is out there. It's a Christian radio station, and I love and support it. And it's not that all those things are bad, but it's funny because even as we have this Eventbrite event set up for our church, I got an email that there's a Christian version of Eventbrite. And they said, hey, you might want to use this because, you know, you wouldn't want your, your Christian event to be there on a webpage next to some other event that might have bad morals. And you wouldn't want them side by side with each other because then people might think bad of your church. And I kind of laughed at it because I'm like, okay, it's just this, this business model that's out there. But I was like, you know what? I want our event right there next to the other stuff. Like, like, put me next to Dixie Roadhouse. Put me next to the other things that, like, have crazy stuff going on because those are the people I want. Like, those are the people we want in our church, and it's not, nothing against the Christian industry and businesses, but here's the thing. Does our church exist to seek the found or seek the lost? Because if we're seeking the found, then yeah, we are going to advertise differently. We are going to operate differently. We're going to look and say, okay, what do Christians want? And we're going to do that, and we're going to reach towards them. And we're going to try to keep the messy people out of our way because we want to reach the found. But the fact is, when you decide, okay, we're going to be a people who reaches towards the lost— it means you have to understand things a little di bit differently. You have to see things from their perspective a little bit to understand so that they can hear the truth in a way that they would understand. And, and we, we, we get that to, to a point, but I, today's passage, and if you're just hopping back into Gulfside, or if it's your first time here today, we are wrapping up a seven-week series that, with a reading plan connected to it that has been 50 days long. This is the seventh week of it, and, and on Easter, we're going to conclude our reading plan with it, which has just been going through the life of Jesus. It's taken us through each of the Gospels, and if you followed the reading plan, which is awesome because I can't possibly preach through all of Jesus' teachings even in a year, let alone seven weeks. And so it's important to read these stories for yourself, but as we've been going through, the goal of it hasn't just been communicating a massive information, but the goal has been getting a picture of this is the heartbeat, this is what it'd be like to be with Jesus in a room, these are the things that he cared about. These are the things that he did that might be a little bit unexpected for the people that were around him. And have been really trying to get a, a, a snapshot of the heartbeat of Christ. And today, as we prepare for Easter, and today is Palm Sunday, we're going to be in Luke 19. 
which Luke 19 should be a familiar spot for you in your Bible if you've hung around Gulfside for a while because there's a verse that just really, I think, sums up the mission and the purpose of Jesus Christ, and we use that a lot around here. But that verse, verse 10, is found in the greater story of this interaction with a man named Zacchaeus in verses 1 through 10. So Luke 19, verses 1 through 10 is where we're going to be at today. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. We'll, of course, project the words on the screen so that you can see as I read them. And starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now we're going to pause there for now and we'll come back to the passage in just a minute. But it's interesting because in the text we we see this. He was a chief tax collector in the region. And this would have really meant two things. Either one, Zacchaeus was not of Hebrew descent, and he, he went into that position which was still despised. No, no matter what ethnicity you were in this time, if you were the chief tax collector, you were someone who was desperately hated by the Hebrew people, by the Jewish nation. And if he was a Hebrew person, this would have pushed him even further into the category of hated, because he was in this position that was known for theft— he got to determine the tax rate that you paid. And so he'd sit down and he'd review what you had, what you'd earned, how your crops did, and he would determine, okay, this is how much you owed. And the passage teaches that he became extremely wealthy through doing this. And so not only did he collect taxes to give to Rome that was ruling them at the time, but he kept plenty for himself. And he was, he was the head guy. There was no one else probably in that region that he was accountable to except for out there to the capital of Rome. And so he had no one to answer to, so he did what he wanted. And to make matters worse, he was a little short guy. And we know we hate getting bossed around by someone that we could pick up and put in our pocket, carry off, take it into a private point, stomp on them, and leave them there. We don't like getting pushed around by little people. And so he's this little dishonest person who is stealing in the form of collecting taxes and making himself wealthy. And so here Jesus is walking down, and this person who is despised, who's known for theft, who's known as a sinner, not suspected, but known to be a sinner, and he's trying to get a view, and he can't see over the crowd because he's just a a short guy. And as he gets in, I'm sure someone probably, you know, accidentally elbowed him in the head and was like, oh, sorry, little girl. Oh, Zacchaeus, I didn't see you there. And, you know, Zacchaeus was a hated man. And so what he did, there was something, there's this curiosity inside of him that drove him to the point where as a grown man, he climbed a tree just to get a glimpse of this Jesus that was passing by. And it's really interesting because as Jesus gets close to him, without the need for introduction, Jesus begins to interact with him. And it's funny because just even before we go too far into this story, there's just this little side interesting fact that if Zacchaeus 
wasn't short the thing that he probably hated, and I'm sure he's probably not very thankful that that got included in Scripture for the rest of time, that as people read about his story, it's included that he's a short man. It's like, couldn't you just put that the crowd was tall and I couldn't see? You had to put that I was a short man in there. Put that out for all eternity. Thanks a lot, gospel writers. And so he, he, he's up there, and he had to climb the tree, but if he wasn't a short guy, I mean, would he have even had this interaction? He would have just been one standing in the crowd. And it's funny how so often there's things that are part of our story that it's like, man, we wish that wasn't there, or we wish this was different, or we wish we were like everyone else in this respect, and we completely miss how God is going to even use that deficiency that we think we have to his glory. That he'll even use that deficiency as something to draw us and pull us towards himself to do something in our life. God isn't worried about how gifted you are. He's interested in where your heart is. And when Jesus was walking down the road and he saw there was something in Zacchaeus that he was so interested in who he was that he was willing to climb up a tree because he couldn't see. And he had this interaction where Jesus begins to invite himself over. I mean, he looked him in verse five, it says, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And being a guest in someone's home, that, that was like, uh, we're not just friends, like we're, we're friends like family. Like this, this was a meaningful interaction. This isn't just, hey, you're going to feed me and take care of me. It, it's almost like, it's like that friendship where it's like, hey, I'm going to be moving on Saturday and we're such good friends. I'm not even asking, I'm telling you because you're going to come help me move. Like you, you know those friends, you only have a few of them in your life that when you're doing something difficult, like, hey, I need a ride to the, the hospital and I don't even really want to talk to other people about the fact that I'm going to the hospital, but I need you to give me a ride. And that's, that's the friend. I mean, that's the level of connection that was understood when you would eat in someone else's home. It, it's like you were connecting yourself with them in this time period. And so Zacchaeus' reaction to that was great excitement and joy is what verse 6 says. Which is just curious because Zacchaeus was a sinful man. Zacchaeus was someone who stole from others. Zacchaeus understood this was like king pastor walking down the street. This was the holy guy. Since when does the sinful person want to bring a rabbi into his home? I mean, it was this this curious interaction. But when Jesus invited himself over, Zacchaeus reacted with great joy in excitement, but how did everybody else react? Verse 7 tells us, but the people were displeased. They were displeased about the company that Jesus was about to keep. They were displeased because this tax collector is hated amongst the community. He's a thief. He doesn't deserve Jesus' time. And if Jesus knew better, he probably wouldn't be going there. So there must be something wrong with Jesus to go spend time with such a broken dishonest individual. And that would make sense if your, if your concept is that Jesus is here looking for the found, Jesus is here looking for the people who have it all put together, you would look at Jesus at this point with skepticism and say there must be something wrong with him because he should only be with the holy people. But that's not what was in Jesus' heart about the way he came. And Jesus wasn't mistaken when he picked Zacchaeus. He, he knew the issues were there, but this is something that we see throughout Jesus' ministry. And this is the first thing that I want you to see about Jesus' personality from this text. Number one is that Jesus moved toward people who were far from God. And this is important because he didn't just wait for them, he moved towards them. When he saw there was some sort of curiosity 
and Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is up in that tree. Jesus stopped what he was doing, called him out by name, and invited himself. And this, this plays out in our lives in, in different ways because as a Christ follower, we should be looking for the opportunity to speak encouragement, to speak about God's love, to share the gospel, to invite other people to join this fellowship. We should be looking for those opportunities. And there will be times when we see this, like, this little small piece of curiosity from someone who normally wouldn't be around church. And when we see that, we need to not just pass that opportunity by, but we need to stop and try to speak into it to provide the invitation, to provide the words of encouragement, to provide the words of truth. And, and I don't want us to be a church that just looks for, oh, you know, that person has a K-Love sticker on their car. It's safe to invite them to church. That, that person was playing, you know, the Christian station or they had the Christian shirt or they put a little sticker on their monitor at work and so they're a safe person to invite. I want us to begin to think a little bit differently about the person that Jesus would lead us towards inviting. It's not just the one that we think is going to say yes to the invitation, but it's the one that we see there's a spark of curiosity in them. And whether or not they have a church background, it doesn't matter. What matters is... How are they going to respond, and is there an opportunity for, for me to invite? Because they may not have been around church at all before, but God might be beginning to stir something that completely changes their life. The people were incredibly displeased because he's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. Not, not someone who is suspected of sin, but someone who, who is known for being a sinner. As Jesus is moving towards him, it's interesting to note, because I want to I make sure we're clear on this, that you know, we move towards people who are far from God, unapologetically. Like, that our heartbeat is for them because we believe God has something better for them. We, we want to see them know God. We want to see them find community and have people around them. We want to see them discover the purpose that God has placed in their heart, and we want to see them make a difference in this city and in this world. But I, I don't want this message to be confused with, hey, you know what, if someone is... is living in sin and disregarding what God has to say to them, that, that is just, they're just going to be okay because the fact is, it's, it's not going to be okay. And what we see as Jesus moves towards people who, who are sinful, who, who are far from God, who, who have thought that there wasn't a place for them in God's house, as he moves towards them, we will see that Jesus displays that he knows them, that he loves them. And, and there's always this display that he challenges them. That there's a challenge to change. That the gospel isn't just that you are loved by God. It's that you are loved by God and he has a plan for your life. Not, not a plan to make your life good like it used to be, but a plan to make it better than what you've expected, that, than what you would have dreamed of. That, that God has purposes for your life. And that purpose always involves change. And, and as you get to know God, you're going to see that he loves you enough to challenge you on things. And as Jesus is spending time with Zacchaeus, we see that Zacchaeus felt challenged. We're going to pick back up at verse 8. Zacchaeus somehow felt challenged to make corrections in his life. Look at verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, I'm going to pause there for just a second because this is interesting. In, in the Roman law, that, he was actually following what it was that if you got caught stealing from someone as a tax collector, what was required was that you would pay them four times as much. But he, he didn't get caught. He, he wasn't found guilty by the Romans and forced to pay. There was something about being around Jesus where there was something that welled up in his heart that said, I have to fix this. 
When there's recognition that there's a God in heaven who loves me and loves the people around me and he cares about justice, there's a sense that the way that I live matters. And this goes in contradiction with the you know, famous tattoo and the thing that people like to say is, you know, only God can judge me. You know what? Yes, God can judge you, but that's terrifying because he knows exactly what you've done. And while we, we know the verses, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life, it continues to go on and say that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world for the world already stood condemned for not having yet believed in his one and only son. This concept that only God can judge me, yes, he has judged you. Yes, he has found you guilty. And this is true for me, this is true for you. We are all found guilty from God, but we are all delivered when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We all can find grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And I also want to clarify that scripture actually says once you've found that grace, the church is supposed to help you hold, hold, hold each other accountable. We are supposed to judge each other out of love, not out of anger, not out of resentment, not out of wanting to embarrass someone else, but out of recognition that if you continue in this path, it's going to lead to destruction for you and your family. That God has something better for you than the, what the world has to offer. We are accountable to each other. We are supposed to change our lives. We are supposed to grow in integrity. We are supposed to grow in our faith. And this is part of Jesus' interaction that as Jesus is around Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus feels compelled to make changes. And this must, this must continue to confuse the religious people who are around, saying, why is Jesus even in this household? And then all of a sudden Zacchaeus breaks open what is one of the hardest boxes for God to get into in someone's heart, and that's, that's finances. I mean, that's just the truth. Mature Christians still struggle with you know, saying, God, I'm going to honor you in my finances. And Zacchaeus breaks this open and says, I'm going I'm to give half of what I have to the poor just because, and I'm going to fix the times that I've cheated and taken too much, times four, and I'm going to give that back. And in verse nine, it says, Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now man, there's an implication in here that Zacchaeus is a true son of Abraham. And there's an implication that there's people out there who are saying they're sons of Abraham that really aren't sons of Abraham. And this was something that the Jewish people, this was a title. This was their, you know, their, their father Abraham and that they are heir to what Abraham was promised. There was a sense of pride in being a son of Abraham. And this person that the crowd didn't even want Jesus to talk to, to look at, let alone go eat with. And now Jesus is showing approval of him and saying, this is a true son. The tension would have been palpable. I mean, it, would have, it was in the air. But this is the heartbeat of why Jesus came. He came so that those who would recognize their sin would make changes. And, and, and this is the second thing that I want, to see, want you to see about Jesus' personality is that Jesus celebrated the first signs of life change. He celebrated the first signs of life change. Because what, you know, what if Zacchaeus, what, what if he didn't change all the presets in his car to Christian radio stations right away? Like, like what, what, what if he still, you know, said words that he shouldn't say when he stubbed his toe? What if he still wasn't nice to people out in the market all the time? 
Like, like what if Zacchaeus wasn't a perfect person from the time that he had this interaction with Jesus onward, and, and Jesus gave him this, this raving approval? I mean, I mean, what if Zacchaeus, you know, wasn't a perfect person from then on? Did Jesus mistakenly do this, or was Zacchaeus just great for the rest of his life? I'm going to tell you that what Scripture teaches is that Zacchaeus still would have messed up because he still had a fallen nature. But there's this truth about who Jesus is. When he sees someone beginning to, to correct their course, he doesn't wait to celebrate, but he celebrates it right away. And so often in our spiritual life and in our family life, we spend so much time griping about the past and grappling with what might happen in the future, that we miss the importance of what's happening today. It, it, you know, back, back to that truth that Jesus, he often stands at the door and knocks, and, and he makes that call, and he gives that invitation. It's almost as if he's walking by in the street, and he says, hey, Paul, I, I want to eat with you today. And we say, oh, I'm sorry. I, I hear that call. I feel that push. I understand that God is wanting to do something in this moment, but I have other plans going on right now. And so often we feel that this invitation by God to make a change and we just, we say, no, not right now. And, and we sense and we realize, you know, I, I did something wrong, but I don't want to fix it right now. And, and we think it's going to be okay to just celebrate that, but, you know, we'll, we'll celebrate fixing that later. We'll, we'll get to that later. We'll, we'll, we'll take those positive steps later. But Scripture, time after time, points us towards this moment, this moment is the day of salvation. This moment is the time for you to step forward. It's not about next week. You're not promised another day. We, we don't know what the next year will hold. We, we, we don't know what tomorrow will bring, and it has enough worries of its own. We need to live in this moment and honor God in this moment. And we have to take the sins and the mistakes of the past and leave them there, and we need to let God control the future and in this moment we have to respond the way that we need to respond and when there's a sense of you know I've I've done wrong when there's that sense of I just heard the police siren behind me and I have no clue what my speedometer is reading right now and we know that okay we look down we know okay I did wrong when we have those moments where we know I've made mistakes I don't want you to feel defeated by those mistakes, but I also don't want you to pass them by. I want you to deal with them with your heavenly father. And Zacchaeus, he was a great picture of this, that right at the beginning of his faith, right at the beginning of him responding to, to getting to know Jesus, he said, I'm going to begin to fix the things that I know that I've done wrong. And Jesus looks at him and he says, you are a son of Abraham. This is amazing. This is incredible. And he celebrates it. Despite all the past mistakes that he's made, despite all the times that he got it wrong, despite all the times Zacchaeus was criticized, and rightfully so, Jesus begins to celebrate the life change that's happened. We, we miss the moment far too often because we're gripping that past, griping about the future, and we need to live in this moment. And I want to tell you, if, if you're here today and you're kind of in that position of, I've been far from God for far too long. Fix that today. Open your heart to your heavenly Father today. This is why Jesus came. And as we celebrate the Holy Week leading up to the cross and the resurrection, this is why he paid the price. So that when you heard his voice and you responded, you would know 
as scripture says, that you can have eternal life, that you would know that you could have forgiveness of sins. Continuing on into the the passage, we see Jesus responds, salvation has come to, to this home today for the This man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. You know, we're we're good at celebrating some things. You know, we we often, we we don't talk too much about our spiritual life as a culture. And I believe that's a negative thing. But we're really good at celebrating things that don't really matter too much. Like, Like, my breakfast looks awesome. Everybody, look, I took a picture of it. I'm posting it on social media. Look how great this looks. Or, or my team won. I mean, I don't play for the team. I don't have any money invested in the team. It's not really my, my team. I bought a shirt from them. But that team won, and I'm going to celebrate that. I, I mean, we can celebrate so many things, but sometimes we miss celebrating the things that really matter. And as a culture, because of that, we, we repeat what we celebrate. And so when we don't celebrate the things that really matter, we end up not doing the things that really matter often. And, and so when we, when we look at the way that Jesus taught, the way that he lived, the people that he, he poured his heart into, the things that he celebrated, what we see him celebrating is the lost being found. And this, this heartbeat that is found in verse 10, and this is the third thing that I want you to see, that Jesus' heart was connected to his mission. His heart, the things that he was passionate about, the things that he talked about and that he celebrated, his heart was connected to this mission. And the mission was seeking the lost. His mission was seeing that they were saved. And the term Christian in in Scripture, where where it was derived, it just means little Christ. It it means people who are living and teaching and acting and living on the teachings of Christ. And and if we're a Christian church, if we're going to live the way that he lived, then we have to mirror his passions, his missions, not our own. We have to look at our city and, and say, this isn't just where I live, but these are the people that I am living to reach. We, we have to look and say, you know, the, the people that God has put around me in my workplace, they, they're not just by chance here, but God has given me an opportunity to encourage, to love, to make a difference in their life. And, and Luke 19, it, it's actually the chapter that leads into the triumphal entry. That's the term that's used for when Jesus walked into Jerusalem free for the last time before he, he was beaten and scourged and crucified and resurrected. And in this triumphal entry, one of the things that we often miss in this chapter in verse 41, I mean, this shows the heart of Jesus and the heart of his mission. He's getting ready to enter. And in verse 41, it says, but as he came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead and he began to weep. And he said, if you... If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. When Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem before he was going to the cross, he looked at the people, he looked across the city, and his heart broke for them. And church, I wonder, when was the last time that our heart really broke for someone other than ourselves, Other than someone who was close to us? When was the last time we looked at our city in the spiritual condition and we said our city needs the hope of the gospel so much that it, it, it's wrecking my heart. That they need to know this life and this love and this joy that is only found in the name of Jesus Christ and they don't have it yet. And so I have to be part of something that does something. 
And I want to tell you, as your pastor and, and as a human, I hope that when you come to Gulfside Church, that some part of it is, you know, you're not bored to death when I'm preaching. I hope that you enjoy the preaching, that it's encouraging to you. I'll admit that's part of it. And I hope that when you're here, you enjoy the worship. And part of you being here is that, you know, the worship is great. I mean, it's like we have Lauren Daigle up here on stage and they rock it every single week and they draw you into worship. And I hope that's part of it. I hope part of it is the children's ministry. They're amazing back there. We have such a strong team. I hope that's part of it. But the biggest piece of it, the biggest piece of why I hope you call Gulfside Church home is because this is a group of people who look at our city and say, we have to do something to get the gospel out there, to have it preached in a way that people will understand and have the opportunity to respond. And so I'm here because I know we together as a body, we're going to make a difference in lives. We're going to make a difference in families. We're going to make a difference in this city. And not because of our own strength, because we are committed to this truth. That the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. And that message moves through his church. And I will pause and say, if as I speak about this, you'd say, you know what, I don't know. I don't know that I understand these things that I need to understand about God. There'd be no greater joy for me, for us as a church, to help you through that decision. Help you answer the questions that you need answered. What scripture teaches is when we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, we'll be, you will be saved. It's the promise that when you trust him, he provides and he causes spiritual life to occur where spiritual death only was. Where he pays for the sin that we have, found guilty, we have been found guilty of committing. Band, if you guys would make your way up onto the stage, I'm going to begin to close this out. You know, throughout Jesus' teaching, he talks about the lost in lots of different ways. And he uses pictures and parables of a lost coin, of lost sheep. Uh, and he goes into this interaction with Zacchaeus who was lost. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've lost pocket change before. And the coin he talked about was a dowry. It was much more valuable. But there, there's been times where I've lost money and I, you know, a couple cents, I'm not even worried about it. I'm not even going to look for it. If it shows up, great. If not, you know, no big deal. Because it's not that valuable to me. Um, I, I have a, well, my wife has a dog that lives at our house. It's not my dog, uh, but, but it's gotten away a few times, and I've gone looking for it um, because it is valuable enough for me to go look for, and a neighbor has asked, do you want me to help? No, it's okay. <laughs> it, it's not that big of a deal. But it, if one of my children as a toddler were to get out of my house and I couldn't find them, I would be banging on every door. I would be asking for every person I saw to help me look I would be calling the police and the professionals and the helicopters. I would want the world to stop until I found my child because they are so valuable to me. And we get that as a parent. And one of my mentors told me, and he said, one of the hardest things as a pastor to look back on uh, of over 30 years of leading a church, one of the things that breaks my heart the most is how little the churches in America care for the lost. Because as a, as a pastor, I see those lost people the way that I see my kids. My heart breaks for them the way my heart would break for one of my kids that doesn't know him.
And so I can't help try to lead us out towards them. And, and as he spoke those words, it echoed with my heart because this is the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. That he would come and he would seek and save those who are lost. So church, you know, the pocket change, the, the puppy dog, or the child, how have you been seeing your city? It, you know, if the opportunity is just perfect, I'll invite them and maybe they'll come. Or have you looked at them with the knowledge that within my heart and within my mind, God has entrusted me with the message of the gospel and I get to carry that where I go. And this will bring life wherever it goes and so it needs to get through our city. It would be a lot easier on me, quite honestly, if we didn't do the helicopter egg drop. <laughs> it's a whole lot more details. It's a whole lot more than, than what normally I am planning. I'm not figuring out how to handle 30,000 Easter eggs on a normal basis. But this is a time where people will come and check it out and they'll try out the church again. And it's a way for this message to move through our city. It's a way to serve the city. But it all gets back. The reason why, the why behind the craziness and the investment and the time, the why behind giving up part of your Easter morning to serve the city, the why is because we desperately believe the gospel changes lives. So we're going to push it forward at whatever the cost. It's the heartbeat of Christ. I believe it's going to, going to be the heartbeat of our church for years to come. And I invite you to make that your heartbeat as well. Pray to God. Jesus, I thank you that you so loved us that while we were considered enemies of God, you lived the perfect life and died on the cross. And your resurrection showed that our sin has been paid for. And that we can be called children of God, adopted, heirs with Christ. For anyone in here who is working through that decision, give them the courage and the strength to ask someone to come alongside them, to speak with them, to answer their question. Help them to take that step and respond to you as you speak in this moment. Father, we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth that you are Lord, that you are raised from the grave. And we know that we are new creations in Christ from that moment of that decision. So thank you, Lord. Give us the strength and the courage to make that decision, to bring this message forward in our city, in our households, and in our workplaces. In Jesus' name.